So, if you have a Bible, you're, I know this is going to surprise you, but you're going to want to open it to Romans, because we're actually going to continue our series in Romans this morning. I know you're kind of like, I've been on the edge of my seat. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Romans again. So there you go. Now you can relax. You know what's coming. Um, we're going to read through Romans um, chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. And um, as I said before, we've been talking a lot about the law and about um, and about what the law does and doesn't do. We've been talking about the fact that we're free now in Christ, um, and so we're not slaves any longer to sin, and um, that we're also not slaves of the law, but we are slaves to something new, which is, um, which is God himself, and uh, we're servants of his. And so we've been talking about what it means to live that out, and we're going to continue this morning in one of the most um, confusing and relatable passages in all of Scripture, I think. So Romans 7, 13 through 25, I think I actually start us in verse 17. So we're going to start, no, it's verse 13, right? Yeah, okay. So Romans 7, 13 says this, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we come before you this morning, gathered around your word that has um, so much to say to each and every one of us today. Father, we pray, I pray, that, that your word would show us this morning how relevant it is to our lives. I pray that you would open up our hearts and help us to be willing to look inward at ourselves, which is not always an easy thing to do. Would you help us to do that so that this is not simply us looking at the life of Paul, but that we would see the connection between his experience And our own, Lord. God, would your Holy Spirit empower your word in this time 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I really like Paul, maybe more than any other, we'll say, non-Jesus person in the Bible, because Paul is uniquely self-aware. Paul is a guy who seems to be very comfortable talking about what's going on inside of himself, even when it's totally confusing, like in this passage. If you've ever tried to journal, you know how that can go. But it isn't just that Paul talks about himself. It's that Paul seems to understand the things that are motivating him. He seems to understand the things that are going on. And self-awareness is not the most common thing to see in the world in which we live. It's never been a very common thing. In fact, when you look at other people in the Bible, you realize that Paul is one of the more self-aware people. Paul uh, grew up doing uh, exactly what he believed God wanted him to do. So Paul was a man who had good motives and good intentions and was well-respected and had every reason to believe that he was doing good for God, completely with all sincerity. And God would then get a hold of Paul, would, uh, would blind him, and would say to him in his blindness in that moment, would, would reveal himself to him and basically say, Paul, I'm the God that you've been trying to serve, and you're on the wrong path. Now, uh, this has got to be one of the craziest, most difficult things to go through as a person uh, who is actually sincerely trying to do what God wants. To, to know that you are really working at it the best that you can, with, with not really false or weird motives, and then to have God come to you and say you're still off base. The result of that is that Paul will live the rest of his life knowing that no matter what anyone else thinks of him, no matter how much people respect him, no matter how much success he has, no matter how many things he seems to get past, no matter how he looks in the eyes of others, that he's still someone who is capable of sin. He knows that because when he was at his best, trying his hardest, he ended up realizing that that wasn't good enough. Now, you compare that to other people in the Bible. You compare that to, to people like King David and people like Moses and Abraham. You compare that to the very disciples who followed Jesus around, and you're like, yeah, sometimes I don't think those guys are very self-aware, right? They'd like walk up to Jesus and go, Jesus, we've been debating. Which one of us is the best? Come on, tell us. And he's like, uh, I think you may want to think a little bit about, about what you're after here right? There were lots of instances where people like King David would blow it so majorly, and he just wouldn't see what he was doing. You're like, how could he not see it? Because believe it or not, most people are shockingly not self-aware. We're not aware of why we do many of the things we do. We don't reflect on that very much. We find it scary. We find it unsettling. It's easier to just kind of presume that we're doing well, that we mean well, and leave it at that. It is because of the life that he lived up until Jesus came into his life that Paul 
is a person who can be so completely honest about what's actually driving him, about what's going on in his life. But the problem with being really honest about what's going on inside of you and in your life is it gets kind of confusing, like this passage, which is one of the most confusing passages ever, and yet one that I have personally related to more than maybe any other in the New Testament. You see, what we see going on with Paul right now, the struggle that he is talking about here in Romans 7, tells us something about the way each and every one of us deals with sin in our lives. Paul says this in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. If you can't relate to that right there, then I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about yourself. Not forever, but maybe spend a little bit of time thinking about what's really going on inside of you and what you're really after in life. Because honesty leads to this statement right here. I don't understand my actions, the things I'm doing. I don't get it. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I feel like I have free will. I feel like I can make choices. I feel like I'm mostly in control of what I do. And yet, I can't seem to do what I ultimately know is good and want to do. I keep going back to and doing the things that I don't want. If that is not something you can relate to, you're probably a robot. What Paul is talking about here is something very simple, and it is this. There is sin in my life. Paul is simply saying this. He's saying, there are things in my life that are sinful. There are things that I'm doing that I should not be doing. There are habits that I have. There are choices that I'm making, and they're mine. He's owning it. He's taking responsibility for it, and he's saying, I seem to keep blowing it over and over again, no matter how hard I try. Now, simply saying these words is a lot harder than we often think. There is sin in my life. Especially as we live lives longer as Christians or as we get older and more seasoned and experienced in life, um, as we're kind of in control of a lot of the circumstances around us and our world and the relationships that we have and how things are going, we find that we can very easily go through life without having to say this statement, even if it's true. And Paul says it here. He says with all of the great things that he's done and with who he is in the eyes of the church and what he has accomplished for the kingdom and everything he's been through, Paul still stops right here and says, I'm blowing it, there is sin in my life. And it's hard for us to say this. It's hard for us to really say this, I think. I think we're scared to admit when there's sin in our lives. I think that we have all kinds of ways of avoiding actually seeing what's going on in our lives that is not what God wants for us. There's a couple of things that we do when we get confronted by the sin in our lives because it's there. It's there and we could see it. We definitely deal with it. The people around us sure do. With our sin, I mean. 
But there's ways that we go about not seeing it. The first thing that we do often is we minimize the sin that is in our lives. We take the sin that is in our lives and we shrink it down to something that is so manageable or something that is so minimized and small that it's like not really sin, you know? It's just kind of stuff that everybody deals with. We do this sometimes by focusing on the, the external. We focus on the things that we do that we're good at doing. And we, we don't really focus on what's going on inside of our hearts or maybe what's motivating the things that we do. We, we focus on being selective. We, we kind of focus on our strengths and the things that we're good at. And we kind of forget that God also cares about these other things that are a real struggle for us, for us and that we tend to be bad at. We, we judge ourselves by these external actions and choices, by these things that we're very selective about, that we've decided are more important to us than other things, the things we happen to be good at. When Jesus came and he addressed sin, he spent a lot of time pointing a finger at people who had ignored what was going on inside of themselves and were focusing on the physical things they were doing. Jesus said, you're too focused on the stuff you're doing. You're not focused enough on what's actually happening in your heart, on what's motivating what you're doing. Paul could easily get by focusing only on the actions, the things that he does in front of other people. And yet Paul is willing to look inside and to say, there's something going on. There are things going on inside of me that are not good. And so Jesus came and he spent time pointing out the corrupt motives of people, the deceptive hearts they had, the envy, the pride, the anger, the judgmentalism, the lustful heart, the self-absorbed achiever, the unmerciful, successful person. Jesus pointed to these people. When he spoke with them and talked with them, he tried to help them see that there was still things there that they had just gotten very good at overlooking, sometimes by focusing on other people. We minimize sin, and it gets very hard for us to say this statement because of how much we minimized it. Or we don't take responsibility for it. When, when it's in our lives and, and, and we are falling short of what God calls us to, now he calls us to live, and what we know is right and good, we don't take responsibility for it. We, we say that, uh, that it's other people's fault that we're doing what we're doing and being the way we're doing. We say it's our environment or our circumstances that are causing us to act the way that we're acting, feel the way that we're feeling, do the things that we're doing. We can even say it's our very uh, biology that, that causes us to do things. We minimize it, we don't take responsibility for it, or we simply ignore it. I am continually surprised by how easy it is for people to simply just go, no, I'm fine. I don't know if you've ever had someone in your life who had something that they were really struggling with, and you really wanted them to know they were struggling with it. Maybe it was affecting you in some way. And you were like, they just don't see it. They just don't care. We say there's nothing wrong with that thing. Or we simply presume that we aren't capable of sinning anymore. We go, yeah, I'm not that kind of person anymore. I, God, God's made me into someone who uh, I don't do that kind of thing anymore. I don't think those kinds of things anymore. I don't feel those kinds of things anymore. In fact, we become these people who we kind of assume because I've become a good person now, now I just assume that nothing that I do is sinful. That's how it works with me. It's very easy between me and God now. 
My hope is that one day you will get to that point that you can be where I'm at, where sin is no longer an issue. We simply don't even think it's a possibility. Here's the thing about sin, and I'm, I'm, I mean it when I say I wish it wasn't this way. No one else can see your sin for you. You must recognize it. When I say I wish it wasn't this way, as a pastor, believe me, I wish I could see it for you. I wish that I could, I, and, and maybe in the beginning in ministry, I thought that was my job, was I'll just point it out in people, right? I'll just, I can see it, they can see it, I'll just tell you, okay? And then we'll figure it out. But I've come to realize, and as many of us have realized in life, if you've ever been to counseling with another person, like in marriage counseling or something, uh, you find out very quickly that you're not there to change another person. You're not there to talk about, point out all the things that are happening in this person only. Uh, You're not there to win some kind of a court case against this person. Uh, uh, You are only able to see and deal with what's going on in you. And the truth about this And it's why self-awareness matters, is that we can hide our sin from everyone else sometimes. We can hide it from everyone else. We can choose to be around people who won't see it. But you know that it's there. You can do all the right things, and you can do them for all the wrong reasons. And no one will know but you and God. We, many of you might know exactly what this feels like, to be hiding from who you really are, to, to, be, to be hiding from the things that you do, from the things that you feel, from the way that you are, because you're afraid of what people will think if they know the real you. You're afraid that you won't even be able to live with the real you. But the truth about sin is that we can't go around saying there's sin in your life, and there's sin in their life, and there's sin in that group over there, that where it lands for us is can we say what Paul himself is, is able to say, which is right here, I am a person who cannot do the very things that I know I need to do. There is sin in my life. God is gracious, he is merciful, We know that his kindness leads us to repentance. What that tells us, too, is that God actually often is protecting us from a lot of what could, how how things could be worse because of the stuff that we do. God's mercy alone often keeps us from suffering from every consequence of the things that we do, which is good, and it's good that God does that, but... God's not necessarily interested in getting all of us and rubbing everyone's face in the things that they do, saying, now you'll see, now you'll see. Uh, We've read about in Romans that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It leads us to a place of feeling like, oh yeah, because God loves me. I can be honest about what's going on inside of me, about the things that I do. So Paul says this. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. He admits, of all people, Paul, that he's blowing it. And if Paul can admit it, we can admit it. If Paul can admit it, I can admit it, and you can admit it when it's there in your life. 
But this is the first step to truly understanding ourselves. He goes on to say, basically, that he wants what is good. And this is the problem. This is the dilemma that we face. I do things that I shouldn't. There is sin in my life, but, and man, life would be so much simpler if, if I just didn't care. But Paul's got a problem. Paul actually wants what is good. He says this in verse 21 and 22. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He says, he says I want to do the right thing. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Paul says, I delight in the law of God. Now, he uses law in several different ways in this passage, and it means a few different things. But for the most part here, what he's saying when he says the law of God is all of that which is good that I know God wants for his people, for me, the law of God, I delight in that. I really truly do. In fact, he's saying in my inner being. So he's saying if there's any part of me that I want to have be the real me, the real me, it is the part of me that delights in the good in the law of God. I, I want to believe that that is what I truly desire more than anything else, that that's who the real me is. You see, we presume that people who do bad things don't really care much about good things. And if they do, it's like really, it's like really basic level caring, you know, very low level sort of caring. But that's not the case. Paul is saying here something that is a very significant reality. He's saying, I care passionately about what is good, and yet I still find myself doing the wrong thing. Like, how unfair is that? He knows that what he's encountered in God's law is good. He knows that it is good because it is what God wants for his people, but he also knows that it's good because it leads to good things. It produces good things. Psalm 1 says that the man who is blessed is the man who delights in the law of God. It is the same word here, delight. And this word delight is literally a description of just the way that you feel when you're enjoying something amazing. This isn't just like, I think it's a good thing. I should believe it's a good thing. I know it's objectively true, not false. No, it's I'm enjoying something that is so pleasurable that I am delighting in that very thing. And Psalm says that the truly blessed man is a man who doesn't just read the word of God or understand the word of God or agree with the word of God, but who actually delights in God's word. Paul's saying the same thing about his life, saying, I'm that guy. I delight in the law of God. I want it and I see how good it is. One of the things that is sort of like a, a black hole that is easy for my wife and I to fall into late at night is if we start looking at our phones at pictures of our kids. Now, I don't know why this is, but the thing is, my wife gets tired way sooner than I do, and she could fall asleep like anywhere at any time. 
But we got into this habit where occasionally you'd just be looking through some of the photos of the day or you'd find some videos or photos. This is, this is incredible that we live in an era when you can raise kids with a camera all the time, able to capture everything. We just got a new computer and we were looking at all these old things and putting them on the new computer. And, uh, and as we did that, boy, we came across some good ones and our kids were uh, not so, so excited about all of them because we really did capture them uh, in all of the things that they were doing throughout their life, it seems. When you could just pull it out and get them real quick, uh, it's a little compromising. But something, there's something that I never expected about having kids, which I kind of figured like with other people's kids, I'm like, they must get, yeah, I'm sure they get sick of these kids. I'm sure they get sick of those kids. I know I'm sick of those kids. You know, I'm sure they get sick of those kids after a while, right? I'm sure you probably need to take, some, take a break and go on, a, you know, have some rest and just not think about them for a while. But the craziest thing would happen is we'd be laying there in bed at night. It'd be late. We're tired. And one of us start looking at our phone and we'd start looking at pictures of our kids from the day or from something that happened or watching a video. And the time would start to fly by. Because there's this crazy thing that would happen. We delight in them. We just delight in them. And it also does help that they're asleep and they're not bothering us. And so, like, none of the bad stuff's happening. So that's the other thing. Is I think, I think like, if I was going to give advice to a parent of young children, I'd be like, do this. At the end of the day, look at all the photos and the videos a couple times. And just enjoy the good stuff and try to let the crazy bad stuff, because they're probably painting on their wall with poop right now while you're doing this. And you're going to go find that out in a, bit, in a minute. But in the meantime, just enjoy the videos and enjoy the photos. When I think about what it means to really delight in something, it's not something anyone makes me do. It's not something anything I do out of obligation. It is what it looks like when I truly enjoy something so much that I could just sit there with it indefinitely. It makes me happy. doesn't need to be doing anything. I can just delight in that thing. This is what it means to delight in something. We know what that feels like. We all have the things that we find real pleasure and joy in. And the way that we feel when we're doing those things is delight. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, this is why it's tearing me apart. is because not only can I not seem to control the things that I do, but I want to do what is good. And what that is doing is it's tearing me apart. He says, in the deepest part, my inner being, I am someone who delights in what is good. So we go, well, maybe then the result is that Paul is, is just showing us and telling us what many of us have experienced, which the, the life of a believer, the life of a Christian is going to be the life of a person who just kind of got stuck with a pretty lousy roommate for the year, right? If you've ever been in a situation with a not ideal roommate, um, and, and like a three-year-old can definitely count, you know, for that. Then, uh, then you know what it's like to just be like, all right, we'll, uh, we want different things. We like different things. We're into different things. That's fine. We're on different schedules. We, uh, you know, find different things funny. That's clear. Uh, and so we have different levels of hygiene, obviously. Uh, we, we have a different definition of what clean uh, looks like. Um, we'll just kind of have to find a way to just kind of get along to get through this season of life. Maybe that's what Paul is leading us to, that the life of a believer is a life in which you just have to know that there's going to be this uh, Dr. Jekyll and there's going to be a Mr. Hyde. Be okay with it, deal with it, it'll be okay. Okay. 
Paul says this, he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul doesn't seem to be describing a situation in which two people can live in peace, does he? Paul is saying that what's happening inside of him is so severe that it is as though there is a war going on inside of him. Because this is the truth. As people who can't seem to be good when we're supposed to, to do the good that we know we should, but as a people who also want what is good and delight in what is good and desire what is good, what that produces in us is not the ability for these two things to live at peace. What it desires in us, what it, what it, what it creates in us, is that we are at war with ourselves. And this very war is exactly what Paul is talking about here. This is a battle that Paul is dealing with. Paul said, I do not do what I want. It is no longer I who does it, but the sin that dwells within me. It is as though I'm taking captive. It is as though I lose control in these moments. And I can't seem to do the thing that I want to do. This goes way farther than just sort of seeing some mistakes and some shortcomings and saying, I want to do better. Maybe I can do better down the road at some point. This is a person saying that no matter how hard they try, they can't seem to get a hold of their sin. No matter how hard I try, how much I fight, I don't seem to be able to conquer the sin that is in my life. What Paul speaks of here, um, in, in the one time that he makes a reference to a specific sin, is he speaks to covetousness. covetousness. He speaks to coveting, which I think is interesting. So, so Paul seems to be indicating, of all the examples he could pick, he picks this one specific thing, and I think that's because it's something that Paul himself struggles with. Envy and greed and coveting things is, a, is, a, is an evil, nasty thing because it exists in here much more than it exists in our outward actions. Now, it does spill out. It consumes. But Paul is a man who I'm sure struggled with his fair share of coveting what he saw other people have. I mean, I think of all the things that someone in Paul's situation could easily covet. He could see people whose lives are just easier. And they don't seem to be outside the will of God. How do you not be jealous of that when you're Paul? He sees people who uh, other people listen to more easily than they listen to him. He's like, you're listening to them? You're listening to them? Them? Really? Can I, can I tell you all the reasons why you should just trust what I'm saying to you and I'm getting literally nothing out of this? In fact, it feels like it's always making my life harder, not better. I'm not getting paid a lot of money. I'm clearly not getting respect. I get no respect. And yet they do. Paul didn't have a family. Paul didn't have many things that other people had. I don't think it's a surprise to think that it's likely that one of the things that Paul struggled with perhaps the most, which is why he mentions being envious and being jealous here, is that he's talking about something that exists inside of a person that can do a lot of damage in here. And we're only aware of if we let ourselves be aware of it. I mean, how easy is it to justify envy? How easy is it to justify jealousy? 
to say they shouldn't have what they have. I should have what they have. There's some injustice going on, and I want to focus on that instead. What Paul is talking about in this passage is being at war with yourself. When I read this and I, and, and, I, and, I, and I go back to it, I think again and again about when I was a boy of about 10 years old sitting in front of my TV with the Superman cape that my mom made me. And I was watching Superman 3, the one that they were trying to be kind of funny in with Richard Pryor. And I'll never forget in Superman 3, they gave Superman kryptonite and it wasn't pure kryptonite. There was tar in it for some reason. And so uh, it kind of made him just bad Superman. And I remember as a kid, my mind being blown, sitting there in front of the TV, watching bad Superman have to fight good Superman. Because what happened is bad Superman flies down to a, to a, to a dump, because of course this is where the, the fight would have to happen. And something happens existentially within him, and, and the good of him comes out, as Clark Kent. And, and these two men have to fight. They have to battle. It is a physical manifestation of what is going on inside of him. And they fight, and it's awesome. They're in a junkyard. It's amazing. It holds up today. It's holding up today. I watched it last night. I was like, yes, this holds up today. And I remember being a kid and watching this. Watching good Superman battle evil Superman. And thinking to myself, man, whoever wins is going to determine a lot. Because if good Superman wins, we know how this movie is going to end. And it's going to end well. And if bad Superman wins, we know how this movie is going to end. And it will not end well. I'm not going to tell you what happens. <laughs> this is... Uh, what it is like for anyone who's self-aware enough to know, as a Christian, what's really going on inside of themselves. Paul says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says, there's this thing about the physical body that I'm living in. It just seems to be fighting against me no matter what I do. My mind, my heart want good things. They want what is good. But I just can't seem to overcome the temptation, the desire, the weakness that I have living in the flesh. And the way Paul describes it is it is a knockdown, drag out fight to the death. Church, if you hear anything today, we'll say this. One of the two things that you have to hear today, because we'll get to an even more important one in a second, is this. If you are not feeling that struggle and that battle, then I urge you to look inward and ask why not. If Paul himself, this giant of the faith, who is used by God in so many ways, is struggling with sin as long as he lives in the flesh, is battling, it feels that there's this thing going on within him. And if you feel like you're past that, you feel like you're not that person anymore, you feel like you've gotten old enough or wise enough or mature enough or you're just not nearly as bad as everyone else seems to be getting, 
that all of this struggle battle stuff doesn't really hit home with you. If you are not battling and struggling with the parts of yourself that fight against what God wants for you, then you have probably given in to those things and have simply accepted, this is just who I am. This is just how life has to be. Paul's pretty discouraged, it seems. He's pretty disheartened. He ends up saying this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul, in describing himself, simply says this, I am a wretched man. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death in which I live? Uh, there, is a lot, there, there has been debate over theologians for, for so many years about whether, like the language Paul's using here is so negative that people have wondered, is he talking about himself before he was a Christian? And, and almost every theologian agrees, no, there's just no way that you can interpret what he's saying, the language, the tense he's using. I mean, it's like present or past tense. It's not that complicated, right? It's, 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 there's no way to really interpret this uh, without coming to the conclusion that, no, Paul's talking about himself at the time of writing this letter to the Roman church. Just like when Paul says elsewhere, I am the foremost of sinners, he wasn't saying something different than it sounded. He was saying, honestly, because of what I know about myself, it's hard for me to believe that anyone is as great of a sinner as I am, says Paul. Paul. Calls himself wretched, says he's the foremost of sinners. How on earth are we supposed to go anywhere from here that is at all positive? Paul's question that he asks almost to the sky, who will deliver me from this body of death? The good news is, there's a solution. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to overcome this? How can I be better? How can I do what I need to do? How can I fix myself? The solution is simple. It's not about you. You see, there's this thing that happens when we go through the kind of struggle that Paul is going through, is that it's easy to kind of become self-absorbed. It's easy to think when we're confronted with the things that we do where we don't measure up, that all of a sudden, we're like more important to the universe than we were before. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true that enough criticism and introspection and guilt can actually cause us to be so devastated because we're like, like, I'm supposed to be better than this. I'm supposed to do more than this. And to such a degree that people can become so discouraged. Even to the point of, of such hopelessness that they would take their own lives. But it happens. And it happens a lot. I am so defeated that I cannot stand the thought of my failure. It still is about me. What Paul says is, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus, so that I myself, 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. His answer, his response after all of this that Paul is saying about himself is simple. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What? How could you be thanking God right now? How could you be thanking him right now for this, for what is going on? There's this thing that happens within us where our own sense of self-importance becomes inflated. How am I going to defeat this? You're not, says Paul. You're not going to defeat it. Someone else, something else will have to overcome the sin that is waging war inside of you. It won't be you and it won't happen through mere effort. There's a good chance that the battle waging within you is you simply trying to improve yourself and failing at it. Turns out it's very common to come to religion by, as a means of self-improvement. To come to the very law of God and to go, uh, I want to be better, I want to do better, so here are the things I'm going to do and here are the things I'm going to overcome. Oh good, I just needed a list of things. I just needed maybe a place I could go every week where they're going to be like, do better, do better, do better. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You have to do it. You've got to overcome. There's a way that you can do it. God needs you to. He expects you to. Don't let Jesus down. Be better. What I want you to know today is that the only way that you will ever truly overcome sin is through Jesus, is communing with Jesus. That the way that we get past the sin in our lives is not by becoming better versions of ourselves. It is by focusing on Jesus, who is the only one that actually helps us. Because Jesus transforms us from within. He gives us a new heart, gives us a new who we are, a new being. And the more that we are in him, the more we are transformed and renewed from within and able to bear fruit. But to try to be a healthy uh, plant by just fixing the fruit doesn't make sense. If you go outside and there's an apple tree in your yard and it's dying, you don't run to the store to get a bunch of apples and stick them all over it and go, okay, good, the tree's going to be fine now. Which is what we do most of the time. We see that, that there's death happening. We see that there's, uh, that there's things wasting away. And we go, I've got to work on this stuff. I've got to fix this stuff. I've got to deal with this stuff. And that won't do it. That won't fix it. That'll buy us a little bit. It might make us feel better for the day. But we're going to wake up tomorrow realizing that that fruit is withering again and isn't seem to grow on its own. There's a good chance that the battle waging within you has you feeling weary feeling discouraged, feeling demoralized. And what I want you to know is that you don't need to feel that. Because the reality is that in Christ, if you're a new creation, if you're in Him, then you go to Him for life. It's really counterintuitive, this idea that to actually overcome the sin in our lives, rather than starting by working on individual actions and things that we do, we sit at the feet of Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to know you more. Would you search my heart? 
Jesus didn't leave telling his disciples that, um, that when he left, that they were going to be okay because a Bible study was going to tell them how to overcome everything. Or because there were going to be a few churches out of the churches that were really good and they were going to be able to take care of it for you. Or there were going to be some leaders that would come along and they would do a great job and everybody would be blown away by it. No, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will empower you to do greater things than I have done. It is through the Holy Spirit internally, which is so frustrating. When we're in the midst of our sin and we see the stuff that it's causing in our lives and we see that it's even hurting the people closest to us who we love and we go, I don't want that to be that anymore. I want to overcome it. I want to get past it. But instead of just starting by working on stuff, Paul knows that's not going to do it. The longer that we live while pursuing Jesus, the more our spirit and mind and heart are changed by Jesus himself. Even though our flesh will often seem just as susceptible to temptation and sin as it was before. We are not supposed to change ourselves. We are not supposed to overcome sin and weakness by ourselves. One author said, we are more able to make the sun stop in its course or the rivers to run uphill as by our own skill and power to order our own hearts. We read this in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Your very life moving forward each and every day is in your connection to Jesus himself. And I would love to be able to get up here and say that if you're waging the war and the battle, good news, here's how to overcome all of those things with 10 easy steps. Here's a book to read that's going to tell you all the solutions to all your problems. But the truth is, that's not what's going to fix it. If it was, Paul probably would have figured that out. The truth is, we should expect that battle with sin will be a part of our life while we are living in the flesh. That does not mean that sin is okay. It doesn't mean that we accept it and ignore it. But we should expect it. A Christian should expect to live their life in the flesh in a battle. Between that which we delight in in our heart, which is the law of God, which we know is good and we know tells us all things that are good and beautiful, not just for us, but for the people around us in the world in which we live, and the flesh that we live in. The very members of our body that seem to be waging war against our best intentions. We are to live out our faith and confidence in Jesus. Paul is talking here about a fight between two versions, two sides of himself. And I think that for those of you who feel beat down and worn out because you just can't seem to get these things right in your life, I want you to know that there is rest in Jesus. 
And there are people here today, I believe, I know that some here today have actually been trying to fix and solve things without Jesus, believing that somehow you cleaned yourself up and maybe then he's impressed by what you've done. He expects you to bring that to him and then he'll go, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. And for you today, you must know this. That if you, if you have this battle going on within you, that if you see that the very things of your members of your physical body are waging war against that good that you want to do, that you want to see happen in life and in the world around you, that, that what you need is you need Jesus. You need Jesus because he's the only one who overcame sin, is the only one who overcame the power of the flesh, he's the only one who has resurrected and overcame death itself. And that by coming to him and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me not just for my sin, but forgive me for all the things I'm doing to try to fix my sin without you. And for those of us who have come to know Jesus already and are walking in him, then what we see and what Paul is saying today is this is normal. You should feel this in your life. But also know that God is one and that you don't have to. And that when we're struggling and when we're battling, that we go to Jesus. We go to the very feet of Jesus and we say, would you change me and change my heart from within? Rather than working on all the physical things that we do, we go to the Holy Spirit and say, would you fill me? Would you transform me? Would you give me new life? And the result of that, the Bible says, is our very selves producing fruit. It starts to grow. It starts to grow naturally. It doesn't grow because we uh, made a list of things to do. It doesn't grow because we finally overcame or because we finally formed a new habit that was better than the old one. It grows because of what the Spirit is doing inside of us. Let's pray. Father, I truly do feel this conflict myself. I have so many times sat across from a table, from a person at a coffee shop, sat um, in someone's living room, sat in my own home, sat at my own journal, and encountered this very battle, Lord in which we say, I can't seem to do what I want, and I seem to keep doing what I don't want to do. I should be past this. I should be better than this. This should not be happening. Is there something wrong with me? Lord, this battle wages within all of us. Our prayer is that you would help us to be able to be honest enough with ourselves to actually see that it's happening to see that there is sin in our lives. Rather than excuse it away, blame it on other people or other things, or to simply ignore it, Lord, would you help us to confront it? We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to hide, Lord, because you don't expect us to conquer and defeat these things ourselves, God. God, we praise you and worship you now above all else because you 
have conquered death and sin. You have defeated it. And because of that, Lord, we can have new life, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.